0: We are, uh, we've been talking this year about uh, our theme, Roots, uh, getting back to the basics of our faith, getting back to uh, the things we need to know, the things we need to understand, those things that are so important for us as followers of Jesus to know, and uh, we're going to continue that throughout this year and into next year as well. Uh, we've spent most of this year talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be continuing that today. Spent a lot of time with the Beatitudes, if you remember, uh, talking about what Jesus expects of us as his followers, how he expects us to live. And then uh, we're going to be going on to hit some of those major themes that he talked about. And then we're going to be talking about some of the parables and the teachings of Jesus. I love the parables. I think I love the parables so much because when I was a kid, in Sunday school, the teachers taught the parables to us so much and I love the, the stories that Jesus told with, that had a, a true meaning for us. But today we're gonna get into, into um, chapter six and, and uh, we're gonna try to get through verse, verse four, talking about some of the important things, some of the important stuff that Jesus talked to us about. If you'd stand with me as we read Matthew chapter six, Verses one through four says, "Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. By the way, Jesus reserves that that phrase that that title hypocrites for religious people. Okay, he didn't call the uh, he didn't call the woman at the well a hypocrite. He didn't call Uh, Even the apostles, when he called those 12 or anybody else he met, he didn't call them hypocrites. He reserves the term hypocrites for religious people because they lived one way in the synagogue or one way in front of their congregation in a totally different way outside. And and they didn't live according to, at that time, the Mosaic law, except when they could be seen. It goes on. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You may be seated. We're going to be talking about uh, Jesus kind of shifts gears here. He goes from our relationship. You remember when we talked about the Beatitudes, part of it was our relationship with God, and then the other half was our relationship with others. Now he's going to be talking about how we are to live our faith. He's going to be talking a lot about the way we actually put our faith into practice. It's my belief that we're in a time that it's important that we as followers of Jesus get back to the basics In chapter 6 here, Jesus moves into the next part of what it means to live as a true follower. And he sets the tone right off the bat by talking about righteousness. I'm going to define righteousness for you here in a couple minutes. But he talks about our righteousness as Christians. And it's important that we explain what he's talking about and what he means. He actually warns us about living our righteousness before the world, the righteousness which he taught us in the first part of the sermon. And he raises the bar in chapter 6 by giving actual examples and expectations of righteous living. It's my contention that today, walking with Jesus has become watered down, misaligned with patterns and passions of the world by leaders and followers who don't want to accept the call, especially don't want to accept the call and the sacrifice to godly living that Jesus makes to us. We're seeing people flee, especially this younger generation. We're seeing them flee from the church, we're seeing them just turn away from the church and turn towards society, turn towards uh, things that uh, those outside of church, those outside of the Bible will say is important. And our, many of our followers, many leaders in the church are being that way as well they are watering down the message of the gospel, they're watering down the teaching of the word of God simply to gain followers, to gain money and in order to get likes, everybody, everybody finds their value today in how many likes they get on their Facebook posts. Or do they have likes on Instagram? Or to, I don't know, I'm doing, I don't do the Instagram, I don't, I don't do the TikTok, whatever whatever that is, I can't dance anyways. (sighs) And the effort to be popular, the effort not to offend anybody, the effort to gain a following rather than to please God has turned what was once the truth of the word of God into a socially acceptable gospel. We're finding what The world wants to be uh, talked about, and we're finding what will attract them, and we're finding out what matters to them, and we're adjusting our teaching so that it will be accepted by them and accepted by a congregation of people who don't want to make the sacrifice and the commitment to following Jesus that we're called to. This new gospel focuses on your ability to earn favor with God by your actions and less on the need of confession and repentance of sin, more on the swag bag of blessings that God has for you than the sacrifice of our lives on the altar of service for his kingdom. See, we want to know what God will do for us rather than what we can do for him and his kingdom. As I've said many times, this life here on earth, once you accept Christ as your Savior, we're going to be talking about that here in a few minutes as well. Once you accept Christ as your Savior, this life now is for Him. We're called to live on this earth and to serve Him here for His kingdom. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you after this life. That's what is for us. Our reward is in heaven. This life is about serving Him. It's more about flash and cash than it is about the new creation that Paul wrote to us about. In 2 Corinthians, some false teachers even attribute Paul's writings now and his teachings to his own ego, not to the inspiration of Holy Scripture. I've actually read and listened to conversations and and discussions where there are people who we once would have considered solid Bible teachers who are now saying, well, that was Paul's opinion, totally discounting the inspiration of scripture. See, once you discount the inspiration of scripture, once you say it's no longer the actual word of God, well, you can say just about anything and you can make just about anything fit. And that's what many are looking for today. Here in Matthew chapter six, Jesus teaches a a different way to live. Not a way that pleases us, not a way that is all about self-love, Not a way that, and listen, let me just, let me just explain that for a second. I believe in self care. Okay. I believe in taking care of yourself. I believe in taking care of your body. I believe in taking care of your family, but we don't need more self love. We need more Jesus love. Okay. What we need is to give our hearts and lives to Jesus and be willing to sacrifice for him and follow him no matter the cost. That's what, The apostles did. That's what the early church did. And down through the centuries, that's what Christians have done. That's what many of our brothers and sisters around the world are doing right now. They are sacrificing their own comforts, their own desires, many of their own safety and their own lives simply to spread the message of Jesus Christ. This call to righteousness is a whole different doctrine and worldview that is is espoused in the world today. In fact... Jesus not only says that we should live that righteous life, but that we should live that righteousness in such a way that it makes a difference. Jesus hasn't called you to save the world, by the way. It's not your calling, it's not your job, it's not your responsibility. In fact, you don't have the ability to do that. Jesus died on the cross to save the world. What he has called you to do is live life righteously in such a way that it makes a difference to others. Here in verse 1 of chapter 6, he warns us sternly to be careful, to be on alert, to pay attention, to give thought to how you live out your righteousness in front of others. Jesus is telling us to take a pause, to examine our lives and our motives before we make the conscious decision to tell others that we're living for Jesus. That's why when it comes to baptism, here we baptize people after they accept Christ as their Savior we don't just, if someone accepts Christ, we don't just rush them into the baptistry. I want people to understand the decision they're making because when you make that decision to get baptized, you're making a conscious public decision to follow Jesus Christ and to let others know that I'm following Jesus with my life. Jesus is telling us, sit down and contemplate what you're about to do. He's challenging us to count the cost of living for him and make no mistake, Folks, if you live this life right, if you sacrifice, if you commit to living this life correctly for Jesus Christ, it will cost you. There will be a cost. Robert Goddard said, The reason many people fall is not for lack of vision, but for lack of resolve. And resolve is born out of counting the cost. In Luke chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus says, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Now, I lived in Springfield, Missouri for around seven years. And I, I saw something pop up on Facebook for Branson. Anybody heard of Branson? Branson, Missouri is like the uh, country music Las Vegas, I guess. It's family friendly. And if you ever thought a they, what they, what one what of the sayings is, because they have a lot of theaters there, right? A lot of concerts. If you ever ever thought a country music star died, they actually have a theater in Branson. So thought that would be funnier than it was, but we'll move on. We'll move on. But I saw something, a clip. I was doing some research for the sermon, and it was uh, something about a a luxury ghost town in Branson, and it was this, this, uh, this, it was not a resort, it was going to be this million-dollar mansion neighborhood, and every house was going to be over a million dollars, and somebody took a, a drone and flew it through, and because of the crash in 2008, the financial crash, nobody had the money to finish it, so here's all of the skeletons of these million-dollar homes just sitting there. Whoever started that, didn't anticipate what would happen if there was a crash. Maybe they didn't count the cost. Unfortunately, many Christians are living lives just like that ghost town in Branson. You're just a shell of a a believer. On the outside, you look real good. You you dress right for church. You go to church. You say the right things. But inside, not so much. Inside, you're the rebellious one that says, I'm not going to live the way Jesus told me to. I'm not going to make that sacrifice. It's just not in the cards for me. You're just the shell of a Christian. Well, what's really important, folks, is that you have substance on the inside. What you espouse and what you say and what you say that you believe is actually what you believe. I challenge you young people, you teenagers, our youth group is growing. Our youth group is doing well. And we're seeing a lot of kids come out Zach and his team are doing a great job. Doing some kind of bubble thing tonight, right? What craziness. I'll be doing something else. Okay. Um, I challenge you young people. Start now. Start now. Listen, you don't have to wear a funny costume and a Jesus sandwich board walking around your school saying the end is coming. You just need, you just need to live for Jesus. You just need to. Make those decisions in your, in your language, in your attitude, in, the, in the, way you, uh, the way you do your schoolwork. Parents, the way you interact with your, with your kids' teachers, the way you work, all of us, the way we live our lives every day. Are we showing Jesus to the world, or is this it for us? Just the skeleton of a Christian on Sunday mornings, just the covering. So Jesus said, there is a way to live righteously, but before you make that commitment, you better be careful how you do it. As we get into this, I, I told you last week we're going to be start, we're going to be talking about uh, stewardship, our finances and the kingdom of God. We're going to be talking about prayer. We're going to be talking about fasting in the way of, of sacrifice, making those sacrifices. And I, I hesitate sometimes to announce that I'm going to be talking about giving because. People, I've had people tell me, well, I'll be back when you're done with that series. Wow, man. Wow. Okay. Listen, understand that the kingdom of God through New Life Church can go forward simply because people will give sacrificially to the kingdom of God. That's how we keep the lights on. That's how we pay our bills by Christians And God will reward you, but we're not going to get into that this Sunday because that's another message for a week or two. Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 8, 36. This is a verse that I learned as a kid. And as I've grown, as I've gotten older, as I've lived my life, as I've had a family... As I'm raising five children right now, and as I have a marriage that I'm building, almost 11 years here in a month. 11 years. 11 years with me. Somebody deserves a Purple Heart. But... (laughs) Nobody asked for that. But I read this verse and it, it doesn't haunt me, it echoes in my mind. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his own soul? And I, I make secondary applications with that and I kind of change it. What does it profit to gain the whole world? What does it profit to build a church? What does it profit to have a thriving ministry? What does it profit to be seen as a, as a, uh, a leader in the church, and the community, yet lose my family? I challenge you fathers and mothers with that. What does it profit? What what good does it do you to be viewed out there as someone special, but you're losing your family? You're losing your family. Maybe we could ask it this way. Which kid are you willing to sacrifice for your fortune? Which kid's life are you willing to not, not, not be concerned about in order that you can get ahead? Count the cost. The importance of your decision and your actions cannot be minimized. You are the light of the world. You are the message of Jesus that people hear. You're the message of Jesus that people read. You're the message of Jesus that that people see. You see, the vast majority of our community won't read this Bible. In fact, quite a few of them don't own a copy. So if they're going to see or hear anything about the true Jesus, it's going to be through those of us who know him on a personal level. It's going to be through the way we live him every day of our lives. You are the connection between Jesus and humanity. You are who Jesus has chosen to bring his message of salvation to a lost and dying world. That's not a small thing. It's not a mistake. Neither is it transferable. You can't pay somebody else to take your responsibility. You can't uh, sign the deed of your life over to another Christian to do your your job. We're all called to be the light of the world. We're all called to be the salt of the earth. We're all called to win to to live in front of others. Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm a firm believer in everything we do in life is permissible as long as it lines up with Scripture, because God has a plan for you a plan that will open doors for you to reach others with the gospel. What are you willing to give up or sacrifice for the cause of the kingdom of God? That's what Jesus is asking. What is it in your life that you're willing to sacrifice? What is it that you're willing to give up? What is it that you're willing to say, okay, God, you can have this. You can have the controls. You can have the reins of this. Because I want to follow you. Listen, we're uh, we've this, this Saturday night, right? Is this Saturday we have a, a couples uh, get together, ice cream social. Wednesday night we start a wanna back On I think it's October second. Don't hold me to that. But gentlemen, we're going to be starting uh, a Sunday night football tailgating party here at the church. Okay, getting together to watch football, maybe out in the parking lot, depending on the weather, whatever we're going to be having a lot of things go on we we've kind of kind of switched some things over because we're out of the pandemic and <laughs> there's been a lot of changes that were made and we offer bible studies we offer bible studies here you can show up live or you can join in listen i personally i've gotten over that whole not live thing i've realized that you can Scream and yell and hold your breath and still not going to make a difference. So we're going to pivot a little bit. You can, you can join the, you've been able to do, do it before, but not going to make you feel guilty if you're going to join a Bible study online. I'm happy about that. You're joining a Bible study. That's a good thing. What are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice 45 minutes on a Wednesday night to learn more about the Bible, to be an encouragement? to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Jesus is asking us. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to, and here's a tough one. Jesus said, the one that loves father, and mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one that loves brother or sister more than me is not Are you willing to get on the outs? Not intentionally with your family because you're the crazy Christian that is concerned about their eternal soul? Or would you rather let your friends and family go to hell without ever hearing the gospel message of Jesus Christ? That's what counting the cost means. Are you willing to forego a fortune or give up your fortune for the furthering of the gospel message? Or do you hang on so much to what you have that what you have here is more important than who you can influence to get there. How far are you willing to go? What are you willing to lose in order to gain the life that he has called you to? Because make no mistake, he has called you to serve in his kingdom. Oh, you may not be serving, but that doesn't mean you haven't been called. Every one of you that is here this morning live every one of you that is watching online, every one of you that will join us or will watch this throughout the week. This is true of you. Even if you don't know Jesus as your Savior right now, He has a plan for your life. And if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, He has called you to serve Him. He has called you to do something in His kingdom. What is it? That's something He'll reveal to you on the way. But make no mistake, he has a great adventure for your life. It's not part-time like a paper route. It's full-time, all day, every day of your life. It's a big ask. No doubt, that's a big ask. That's a big call. But it is what you're called to do. He never said it would be easy. He never said it would always be fun. In fact, Jesus said, remember, I, folks, this is what I'm talking about getting back to roots because we sometimes seem to forget this when you watch those concerts on YouTube, those Christian concerts at all lollipops and lemonade, or you, you hear these, these uh, inspirational speakers. I really struggle calling some of these guys preachers. Don't look down on me for that, but I really do struggle with some of the inspirational speakers who preach health, wealth, and, and happiness. What about the part where Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. What about the part that says, listen, if you put your hand to the plow and turn back, you're not worthy of me. (laughs) What about the parts that call for sacrifice and surrender? Are we willing to listen to those parts? Because that's what Jesus is telling us here in Matthew 6. That is the root of our life. Will you surrender? Will you give up all that you hold dear for the kingdom of God? What's at stake is far greater than fame, fortune, or even the soul of a nation, which for some reason we're bandying about now in our country. What's at stake is the eternal souls of men, women, boys, and girls for whom Jesus died. Why is it so important for you now in this present world to live the righteous life that Jesus has called you to? Because whether you like it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, whether you agree with it or not, a line has been drawn in the sand of society between light and darkness. It's always been this way. For those of us who are a little older, I mean, you listen to my my dad's sermon. My dad is 88. He goes, and my mom go back to the 30s from last century (laughs) and they can tell you and you can sit down and if you still have your grandparents with you they can talk there's always been conflict the only difference in our society now is it's much more stark Melvin sends me uh, articles every once in a while uh, many of about many different things and some of them are about race and A lot of, it's very eye-opening for someone who grew up in white suburbia to see, to to read this. But it's always been that way, right? What we're seeing today is is nothing new. There's always been, our nation's history is replete with racism. Now it's just much more at the forefront. Now it's much more visible. So the line that's been drawn in the sand between society and faith has always been there. We just see it now more starkly. And let me say this um, because this is where it's gotten to. This, it is now, the enemy and the forces of darkness are now so blatant and so uh, in our face that they have, Uh, the rules have changed. When, when we allow society to redefine our beliefs or to influence and even change our doctrine, we're in sin and we're in need of God's forgiveness. But that's what has happened. We have become so, listen, I'm, I'll, I'll say this out loud. Um, and I listen, I, I, I have dealt with so many situations in life of abuse. I know it goes on. I know it does. And I, and I, it's horrible. It's terrible. But when we allow a societal movement to change, to fundamentally change doctrine and what we preach and teach, then we're wrong. You can deal with sin, which is what we really need to do in the first place. You know, you, it, God's got, I think God's got a special judgment for those pastors and those, uh, those churches who cover up a man's sin. When he abuses his children, when he abuses his daughters, when pastors abuse the people in their congregation, I believe there's a special, I believe there's a special judgment on their lives. God has something very, very unique for them. I don't know what it is, but I think I'd, I'd hate to have to answer to God for something like that. But just because that is such a heinous, terrible situation, it doesn't mean we now have to change our gospel. Just because other things in life are being accepted in society as normal does not mean we change the truth of scripture. Scripture is scripture. See, our call as Christians is to address sin and stand against sin with love. Not with hatred, not with anger, with love. To address them, but with love. The choice you make about the side of the line that you're on will determine whether or not you're truly living your own way or if you're living in the righteousness of God. There's no middle ground. There's no riding the fence. We're called to meet people where they are, not become them and let them control the narrative of our faith. As Joseph challenged Israel, you must choose today who you will serve. Those who follow our enemy have given up debating right and wrong. That ship is sailed, listen. If you're going to have a converse, if you're going to have a debate over right and wrong, over truth, is anybody had tried to have that conversation with people, it that ship is sailed, folks because we live in a day and age now where you get to define your own truth. All right. Do you realize, I mean, if you're watching the news, we have a Supreme Court justice now that can't give the definition of what a woman is. Are you kidding me? This is where we are? This is what we seem to be acceptable? And pastors all over the country support that. What in the world? You want a definition of, of woman? I'll give you a definition of a woman. Come on. That's ridiculous. Folks, if you are, if you've been blinded by that teaching, you need to get into the Bible. Seriously, you need to get into the Word of God. The Bible says He created male and female, just two, not 117. And that's low now, it just continues to go and go and go. There's two, there's male and female. Listen, gentlemen, if you wanna walk around in a dress with nylons and sachet, that's up to you. But you're still a man in a dress, right? Ladies, if you you wanna go shopping in the men's department at Penny's, knock yourself out. Just leave the Rams and Dodgers jerseys for me, okay? I don't care, you're still a woman in men's clothing. That doesn't change just because society wants to redefine things. You cannot continue to allow them to set the narrative for your life. Oh, you're, you're hate you're, you're hate. Listen, I uh, on a national news show this week, uh, it was MSNBC, you can look it up. Oh. woman, a woman, yes, and she was a woman, I could tell. A woman was arguing the point that we need to allow children to go to drag shows. And if we stand against it as Christians, we are are giving hateful, now listen to this next one, her words, not mine, hateful, violent speech. Really? 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 Uh, listen, man, I'll say another, make another bold statement right now. If you think it's okay for a child to go to a drag show, I question your moral compass. I have just no, no doubt about it. You think it's okay to teach a child to dance on a stripper pole? I question your moral compass. But that's the argument that's going on today. Look it up. You see, and, and churches... Churches are having drag queen story hour for their children. What? Are you out of your mind? uh... Folks, the line has been drawn. It's time for us as Christians to take a stand with love, but to speak the truth. What I just said the last three or four minutes, May seem like anger to people. It's not. It's frustration. I've got, I've got grandchildren. I've got children. I don't want them. Take my child to a drag show. I'm going to drag you somewhere. And we're going to have a, we're going to have a discussion. Okay. Well, may not be a lot of talking going on. So I'm, and I'm dead serious. Dead serious. What are we thinking? And as the church, what are we thinking that we say that's okay? Or we have to tolerate it? Now, it goes the same for other things. I I'm not a real big guy on people walking around the streets with AK-47s. I'd prefer that you keep that locked up in your cabinet at home. All right? That's just my just just my crazy feeling on the matter, you know? If it kills a tiger in the jungle, I don't want you walking down Main Street with it. But that's me. <clears throat> it is possible to make the choice for Jesus clear. It is possible to live life in such a way that you make the choice for Jesus crystal clear to this world so that they don't see your opinion which is what we want to get out there. What they see is the truth of the word of God. The responsibility for living a godly life lays plainly on you. It is your call, it's your choice, it's your decision. And When it comes to righteous living, we have to start at the beginning. What is righteousness and what does the Bible have to say about it? Is it situational or is it all encompassing? Do you just live righteously when it's convenient? Or do you live righteously all the time? We're going to find that out. That's not rhetorical. That demands an answer. Is it a full-time way of living or a sometime robe that you can put on and take off? Are we supposed to have an impact on our world or not? And if we are, how and when and what kind of impact? So let's dig into this a little bit. What does the Bible say about righteousness. I think there'll be a definition on the screen. Righteousness defined is this, in a broad sense, the state of humanity as they ought to be in God's sight. Righteousness is the condition acceptable to God. So Jesus here in Matthew six and in other teachings is saying, righteously, you need to live righteously. What is righteousness? You don't get to define God's righteousness. The world doesn't get to define God's righteousness. Righteousness is defined as the, by God as the condition acceptable to God. Now, we can't, be, we can't live a life acceptable to God on our own. We need to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And we'll see that here in just a minute. The act of living with godly integrity. Here's, here's the practical way of living righteously. Living with godly integrity, with virtue, with purity of life, righteous correctness of thinking feeling and acting thinking feeling and acting philippians chapter 3 verses 8 and 9 now gee there might be a little confusion here that it needs to be explained a little bit jesus said make sure you don't live your righteousness or, or live your when you live your righteousness. He's not talking about your righteousness. Remember Matthew chapter five. He told us where our righteousness comes from, right? Our righteousness comes from Him, clothed in His righteousness. So the righteousness that we ha- we have is the righteousness from God. And let's see some verses that talk about that. Philippians chapter three, verses eight and nine. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, listen, Paul, listen to what Paul says, man. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God based on faith. That's the righteousness we're called to live. Jesus said, when you practice your righteousness, don't do it like the hypocrites. The hypocrites are doing it on their own. The hypocrites are out there living their own brand of righteousness. Folks out there the world and and, and many in church are, are giving their own brand of righteousness this is what righteousness is this is you know don't worry about what the bible has to say that was written 2000 years ago there's a lot of a lot of formerly really solid teachers who are now saying oh we don't need the old testament the old testament really the law is our teacher that's what that's what paul says the law teaches we have the 10 commandments man the 10 commandments are still good to live by shouldn't steal, shouldn't kill people, shouldn't murder people. You know, all these things. You should, shouldn't be committing adultery. shouldn't be, you know, spending your life keeping up with the Joneses. Or that's, that's your goal. Come on. We don't just change the rules because we don't like them. 2 Corinthians 5.21 goes on, Paul explains it a little deeper. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. Remember, when it when Jesus was on the cross and went and it went dark for three hours, the sin of the world was laid on Jesus. God had, God the Father turned his back because he couldn't look on sin. See, God can't look on your sin. He looks at you through the righteousness of Jesus. It says, uh, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 64, 6, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteousness, all our righteous acts are as what? Filthy rags. We are, we all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Romans 3:10 through 12: there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've become Together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. He's not beating us up. He's not telling us we're worthless. What he's saying is you can't live effectively for the kingdom of God under your own power. You need the power of Jesus Christ in your life. You need the commitment to him. You need what he has to offer you. Society has become so so jaded to to accepting God that we've now, it, nobody taught, they, they don't talk so much about uh, about um, the Big Bang theory or any other uh, ta- thoughts of, of create the beginning of the universe. Now, everybody just talks about the universe. The universe has a plan. The universe will fill it in. The uni- Do you understand when you say the universe, you're actually making our point, those of us who believe in a creator? You're making our point. Because you're saying that there is an intelligent design to everything that exists. You just don't want to admit that we're right and you're wrong. Okay, It didn't all just come from nothing. Uh, There was a creator. Titus three, five, and six, he saved us not because of righteous things which we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our savior. Your righteousness is not enough. Listen, we're called to, to, to live a life that brings people to a point of understanding and hopefully to a point of decision for Jesus Christ. We're not called to change anybody's life. We're not called to change the world. We're called to live for Jesus. We're called to live clothed in his righteousness, doing the righteous living the righteous uh, righteous way and committing the righteous acts that he tells us to and he calls us to and to live our lives with righteous integrity, with love and mercy towards everyone, with compassion towards the world. Not hatred Not anger, compassion. You need the righteousness that God the Father made available to everyone through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Well, that sounds well and good. Maybe you're watching us on Facebook and maybe you're here this morning and that's kind of a foreign thought to you. So before we ever move forward on how to live righteously, (laughs) I think we need to understand how to become righteous in the sight of God, because the Bible tells us in many places, we can't become righteous on our own, right? We can't, we, our righteousness, as Isaiah wrote to us, our righteousness is like dirty clothes. It's like filthy rags. Our righteousness is not good enough. We need the righteousness of God. Well, how do we become righteous in God's sight? How do you become righteous in In God's sight the first thing you must do and I know man this is this has become the big leap for many people because truth has been assaulted and attacked because truth is now seen as relative and there is no truth truth is whatever you make it truth is whatever you think you can have your own truth doesn't really matter if it's not true or not, because there is no standard of truth anymore. But that's humanly speaking, humanly thinking. Let me tell you, folks, let me burst your bubble if that's the way you think. There is truth. We sang a song this morning about uh, standing before God. And there will come a day when each and every one of us stands before Jesus Christ, not just as Savior, but as judge. And he will not judge your good works against your bad works. He will judge one thing. Did you accept him as your savior? Did you accept the truth? Now I know to many people, that's a foreign teaching because many churches don't like to teach that way anymore. But that's the truth of the Bible. My dad preached some about heaven last week. And he talked about coming to know Jesus as your savior. Let's dig into that a little bit more. The first step to become righteous in God's sight, to, to be clothed in God's righteousness is this. You must accept the truth, not the truth that you think, not the truth, maybe maybe not necessarily the truth that you've been taught all your life, the truth of the word of God, not the truth of my words, the truth of the word of God. Now, hopefully I've done my time studying and praying and preparing. And I, so what I'm sharing is what I believe to be the truth of the word of God. But understand it's not my words. It's the word of God. Accept <laughs> the truth. First thing is we must ex- accept that God exists and that he is God. Many denominations, many churches, many religions don't want to accept Jesus Christ as God. Therefore, his sacrifice on the cross was just simply the death of another man. Yet here in John chapter 1, uh, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, and the word there in these passages is capital, uh, capitalized, the W is capitalized because it speaks of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was in the beginning. Sorry, Brian, I jumped ahead a couple slides. We've got to go back. Martin Luther King said this, I still believe that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. This is the purpose of life. The purpose, now listen to this, man. The purpose of life is not to be happy. The purpose of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. The purpose of life is to do the will of God, come what may. Whew. C.S. Lewis talked about his conversion. If you don't read uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that whole series, C.S. Lewis wrote that. Okay, um, There's been movies made, about it, but he was a contemporary of J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote the Lord of the Rings uh, series and The, the Hobbit. C.S. Lewis was an atheist, a, an avowed outspoken atheist, but he was confronted with the truth of the word of God. And here's what he had to say about his conversion experience. He said, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England, why dejected and reluctant? Because everything that he had built his life on was a lie, and he finally came to the truth. Ever been there? Ever been to that point in your life where you realize, man, I've been wrong. I've been wrong all this time. I remember standing in the bank line at a uh, at a bank in Springfield, Missouri, and. And uh, I was waiting to cash a check that's before online banking and all that stuff. I was standing there in line and I looked up, and you know they got the monitors there, and I looked at the monitor, I, was, I I saw this guy standing there. I was like, wow, that guy's really losing his hair. At the time, I was I was kind of cutting my hair and, and shaping it so you kind of, you know, comb over type thing. Not really a comb over, but kind of hide the, the inevitable. And as I looked closer, I said, that's me. <laughs> wow. And I, the, the truth I didn't want to accept, that I was like Sand's hair, I had to accept. And that's when I started shaving my head. <laughs> we can try to fool ourselves in what we do, we can try to fool ourselves in what we believe. But the sad truth of that is, we're, is that we're building our lives on a lie. And we've got to accept the truth. And you may have never heard that the reason Jesus died for your sins is so that you can accept Him as your Savior before. Folks, that's the truth. Psalm 25.5 says, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. What's the other part of truth that you must accept? First of all, that God is God. Secondly, that the Bible is the divinely inspired word for humanity. Do you really believe that? Do you really accept that? Because see, if you don't, then there's no limits. There's no, uh, there, there's no structure. If you don't believe that the Bible is the word of God, and there's nothing to base your faith on, then it is simply a good book written by old dusty men, old dusty times. But if you're going to find out and if you're going to learn to live in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you must accept that the Bible is the word of God. S. Michael Houdman said, if the Bible is not our source of absolute truth and personal experience is allowed to define and interpret what truth actually is, a saving faith in Jesus is rendered meaningless. Listen, if you can define your own truth, then this book doesn't matter. Then what you're here for this morning is just an exercise in futility. Burke Parsons said, God's word doesn't merely contain truth. It is truth. It defines truth. There is truth. There is truth. You don't have the corner market on truth. You don't get to make up your own truth. Listen, you can live your life however you want. You can make whatever choices you want, but you can't change the fact that there is truth. I don't care what philosophy professor disagrees with that. According to the word of God, there is truth. Doesn't matter what you believe or think or reason, truth is truth. You can duck and dodge and deny, but truth is truth. So the first thing is you must accept truth. The second way that we're going to learn and, and and be clothed in God's righteousness is this. We must admit our need. You must admit your need. This is another step down a road that goes a little too far for some people. I don't need anything. I am a self-made person. Pull, my boot, pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I've made it all the way that uh, uh, I need to, and I can handle myself. I can take care of myself. Okay, that might be true for this life how you going to get yourself to heaven you see the word of God being truth means that the way to heaven is true according to the word of God that means you have a need Romans 3.23 says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God not some, not many all all. Doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. Doesn't matter where you were raised. Doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. Doesn't matter your political affiliation. All means all. All have sinned. Bible says that God makes it rain on the wicked and the good. Truth is truth. No matter who you are. We've all sinned. Now listen, nobody's calling you a horrible person. Nobody's saying that you should go to jail. Nobody's saying that you should be vilified and hung out to dry in public and an effigy of you burned in the city square. That's not what we're talking about. What that means is that none of us are perfect. None of us can meet that standard of God. We have all sinned. Martin Luther said the recognition of sin is the beginning of salvation. The first step into accepting Jesus is recognizing that you are a sinner. You are a sinner in need of a savior and Jesus is the savior of the world. In fact, in Acts chapter four, verse 12, the Bible says there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Jesus is the savior of the world. There's no other name, nothing, nobody. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible has to say about the matter. And listen, I know people come back, well, I don't believe the Bible. Okay, all right, that's fine. But listen, couldn't get through a sermon without this one, right? I believe the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. No doubt in my mind right now, best team in baseball, best record by far, cruising. Took care of the, the San Diego Padres last night, 12 to one. We're cruising. Man, you have got to finish the job. <laughs> you can have all the wins you want, but if you don't win the World Series, guess what? You're not the best team in baseball. And I could say, oh, you know, if at the end of the at the end of the season, if the Dodgers didn't win the World Series, I could say, oh, look, they had the best record, but it doesn't matter. They didn't win the World Series. See, I can can claim my own truth, but it doesn't mean it's true. And you can say, oh, I don't believe the Bible. That doesn't mean the Bible isn't true. Truth is truth. There is salvation in no one else. Jesus is the only way to heaven. So what do we do with that? What do we do about that? What does it matter? I can believe all I want. I can say, oh yeah, I agree with that. Okay, but what do you do with that? Well, the first thing you've got to do, folks, is repent of your sin. Accept the fact that you're a sinner and repent of that sin. Thomas w- uh, Watson said, knowledge without repentance will be a torch to light men to hell. You can know all you want, but what do you do with that knowledge? 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, from all unrighteousness. <clears throat> He'll take away your unrighteousness and cover you and clothe you in his righteousness. Because Jesus died for your sins. You just have to admit that you're a sinner and then repent of your sin. And then invite Jesus into your heart. What do you do? Send a letter to heaven? Kinda. We send our, our letters through prayers. Romans three, Romans 10 verses nine and 13. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, it's not about your actions. It's not about your good deeds. It's not about your good works. It's not about your good thoughts. It's about whether or not you believe the truth of the word of God. Whether or not you believe that Jesus is the savior of the world and the reason he died on the cross was not just for the sins of the whole world, but for your sins as well. And that you need to do something about that. And what you need to do about that is confess your sins to him, ask him for forgiveness and invite him to come into your heart. It's kind of like Christmas. We talk about this every time I talk about this, right? Christmas time. Remember when you were a kid, went down there and you saw those presents under the tree? See that present there and it's got your name on it, right? Somebody went shopping or somebody made something and they made it with you in mind. And they either bought that or made it and then they wrapped it, maybe put a bow on it. If you're like my wife, everything has to have a bow. Put a bow on that thing. And then they wrote your name on it. From so-and-so to so-and-so. Now that gift was either purchased or made just for you. It was wrapped just for you. It was put under the tree and your name was put on it because it is intended for you. But that gift does not become yours until you take possession of it. That's the same way it is with salvation, with accepting Jesus as your savior. He died on the cross for your sins. He paid the price for your sins. He has the righteousness of God waiting for you to be clothed in you just simply have to accept that gift and we do that by praying and asking him into our heart we'll do that we'll talk about that in just a minute christians maybe you if you've already accepted jesus as your savior what happens then that's when we start to live according to his teachings Charles Spurgeon said another proof of the con- conquest of a soul for Christ we found in a real change of life. If the man does not live differently f- from what he did before, both at home and abroad, his repentance needs to be repented of and his conversion is a fiction. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Live it. Once you receive it, live it. We're going to be getting into that a little bit starting next week. What it means to actually practically live for Jesus Christ. And I hope you come back. I hope you tune back in and and join us for it. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? With every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. Just give me a minute here. I know uh, we're wrapping everything up. but I talked about the plan of salvation and, and Jesus dying for our sins. And Listen, we can have all the right intentions. We can have all the right desires. But unless we start from God's truth, it doesn't matter. And I hope you saw that this morning. And I wonder this morning, or maybe you're watching online, you can put something in the comments, you can message Pastor Zach or myself. But I wonder this morning, if you've actually taken that first step and received the gift of eternal life from Jesus Christ, you've, there, has there ever been a time where you've admitted that you're a sinner and said, God, I need a Savior? And I wonder this morning if you'd say, Pastor John, I, listen, I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone here that will say, Pastor John, I've never asked Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior? Maybe online if you want to just shoot us a message. But listen, the Bible says clearly that that's what's necessary and a simple prayer, listen, a simple prayer isn't gonna make you a super Christian. A simple prayer is going to accept and receive the gift of eternal life. Something like this, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot live on my own to gain eternal life. I know that you died on the cross for my sins. I ask for your forgiveness and I receive your gift of eternal life. In Jesus name, amen. You can pray that prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. And that begins the life of righteousness. Christian, it's time for us to make that choice. It's time for us to step beyond our own belief and our own comfort level and begin to live for him. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you so much for the truth of your word, even the difficult truths to accept, Lord. Father, I know that we all come from different places and I know that we've all had different weeks and struggles. But God, I also know that you are the God of miracles. You're the God of all goodness to us. Father, I pray that you'll heal every heart here today. pray that you'll mend every brokenness. Father, I pray for those who heard your word and need to receive it. May they do so. God, may we go from this place this morning as worshipers looking to live a life that matters for you and accounts for your kingdom. Bless us as we go. Meet our needs, Lord. Your name we pray, amen.